Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of Socratica Reads. My name is Kimberly Hatch Harrison, and I'm the co-founder of Socratica. We make beautiful educational videos. We specialize in futuristic learning, math, science, and programming like you've never seen it before. When I'm not making videos, I spend a lot of my time reading. In this podcast, I'm sharing the books that have inspired us and sparked creative ideas. I'm focusing on science fiction, which is like imagination personified. Personified isn't really the right word. Encapsulated. It is an auspicious day to start this venture. August 22nd, 2020. We're celebrating Ray Bradbury's 100th birthday. Ray Bradbury said, I'm going to read a quote, Science fiction is the most important literature in the history of the world because it's the history of ideas, the history of our civilization birthing itself. Science fiction is central to everything we've ever done, and people who make fun of science fiction writers don't know what they're talking about. You tell them, Ray. Ray Bradbury has been an important figure in my life since I was nine years old. When I was nine, I started the fourth grade, and at my grammar school every year, they would hand out a small book called a reader. That was how we studied English. These little readers had a lot of grammar exercises and about a dozen short stories. I would always take my reader home and read all the short stories in a day or two. Yeah, I was that kind of kid. Well, that year, for the first time, I read a story by Ray Bradbury. It was about a little girl, nine years old, who didn't fit in with her classmates. They all scorned her because she was different. I couldn't believe it. Someone was writing about me. He was telling my story. I mean, not literally, but still. By some miracle, Ray Bradbury understood me. I was a very bookish girl who got thick glasses in the beginning of the fourth grade, although I really should have gotten them in the third grade, and I started pulling away from my classmates academically, socially, in all ways, really. I was like this little adult in the fourth grade, and my classmates could sense that I was something different, and they didn't want to be around me anymore. My best friend unceremoniously dumped me, just stopped talking to me. And so I really related to this girl in the story. It was called All Summer in a Day. I remember saying out loud when I finished it, this is the saddest story I've ever read. And I still think that. I'm going to read you an excerpt. This story is found in the collection A Medicine for Melancholy, and I'll include a link in the show notes. I hope you go buy this collection of Ray Bradbury stories if you don't already have it, or many on your shelf like I do. Now, let's hear Ray Bradbury's words on this, his 100th birthday. Ready? Let's begin. The children pressed to each other like so many roses, so many weeds intermixed, peering out for a look at the hidden sun. It rained. It had been raining for seven years. 
thousands upon thousands of days compounded and filled from one end to the other with rain, with the drum and gush of water, with the sweet crystal fall of showers, and the concussion of storms so heavy they were tidal waves come over the islands. A thousand forests had been crushed under the rain, and grown up a thousand times to be crushed again. And this was the way life was forever on the planet Venus, and this was the schoolroom of the children of the rocket men and women who had come to a reigning world to set up civilization and live out their lives. It's stopping! It's stopping! Yes! Yes! Margot stood apart from them, from these children who could never remember a time when there wasn't rain and rain and rain. They were all nine years old, and if there had been a day seven years ago when the sun came out for an hour and showed its face to the stunned world, they could not recall. Sometimes at night she heard them stir in remembrance, and she knew they were dreaming and remembering gold, or a yellow crayon, or a coin large enough to buy the world with. She knew they thought they remembered a warmness, like a blushing in the face, in the body, in the arms and legs and trembling hands. But then they always awoke to the tatting drum, the endless shaking down of clear bead necklaces upon the roof, the walk, the gardens, the forests, and their dreams were gone. All day yesterday, they had read in class about the sun, about how like a lemon it was, and how hot, and they had written small stories or essays or poems about it. I think the sun is a flower that blooms for just one hour. That was Margot's poem, read in a quiet voice in the still classroom while the rain was falling outside. Ah, you didn't write that, protested one of the boys. I did, said Margot. I did. William, said the teacher. But that was yesterday. Now the rain was slackening, and the children were crushed in the great thick windows. Where's teacher? She'll be back. She'd better hurry. We'll miss it. They turned on themselves like a feverish wheel, all tumbling spokes. Margot stood alone. She was a very frail girl who looked as if she had been lost in the rain for years, and the rain had washed out the blue from her eyes, and the red from her mouth, and the yellow from her hair. She was an old photograph dusted from an album, whitened away, and if she spoke at all, her voice would be a ghost. Now she stood separate, staring at the rain and the loud, wet world beyond the huge glass. What are you looking at? said William. Margot said nothing. Speak when you're spoken to. He gave her a shove. But she did not move. Rather, she let herself be moved only by him and nothing else. They edged away from her. They would not look at her. She felt them go away. And this was because she would play no games with them in the echoing tunnels of the underground city. If they tagged her and ran, she stood blinking after them and did not follow. When the class sang songs about happiness and life and games, her lips barely moved. Only when they sang about the sun and the summer did her lips move as she watched the drenched windows. And then, of course, the biggest crime of all was that she had come here only five years ago from Earth, and she remembered the sun and the way the sun was and the sky was when she was four in Ohio. And they, they had been on Venus all their lives, 
and they had been only two years old when last the sun came out and had long since forgotten the color and the heat of it and the way it really was. But Margot remembered. It's like a penny, she said once, eyes closed. No, it's not, the children cried. It's like a fire, she said, in the stove. You're lying, you don't remember, cried the children. But she remembered, and stood quietly apart from all of them, and watched the patterning windows. And once, a month ago, she had refused to shower in the school shower rooms, had clutched her hands to her ears and over her head, screaming, the water mustn't touch her head. So after that, dimly, dimly, she sensed it. She was different, and they knew her difference and kept away. There was talk that her father and mother were taking her back to Earth next year. It seemed vital to her that they do so, though it would mean the loss of thousands of dollars to her family. And so the children hated her for all these reasons of big and little consequence. They hated her pale snow face, her waiting silence, her thinness, and her possible future. I really do hope you read the rest of this story, if you haven't already. Because if you were anything like me as a child, you will recognize how miraculous it was that Ray Bradbury wrote a story about us. Somehow, as a grown man in the 1950s, he knew what it was like to be a weird nine-year-old girl in the 1980s. I was not alone. This is the power of really good science fiction. It opens the door to examining people in a different way. Somehow, because you accept this otherworldly scenario, you also buy in to these characters. I'm not sure that Ray Bradbury would have gotten away with telling a straightforward narrative about a weird nine-year-old girl. We'd say, well, what does he know about it? But because he's telling us a made-up story about Venus, he can sneak in with these dead-accurate insights about human nature. There's a kind of thread running through a lot of Bradbury. This affection for the oddballs who are true to themselves. You read his stories, and you come away with a lot of love and understanding. I carry that with me, and I think maybe you can sense that in our work at Socratica. We will never talk down to you, or make you feel strange because you love to read, or you like to study science, or you collect dinosaur toys. You're safe with us. You're among friends. So I say to my friend Ray Bradbury on his birthday, I love you. Thank you. Live forever.